You are listening to Charmed City, a podcast about interesting people doing interesting things in and around Baltimore. So I am here today with Adam Milstein. He is the extract engineer for Verano Holdings. We're going to be speaking about his role within the company, his family's involvement within the company, and the overall landscape of the medical cannabis industry, both here in Maryland and throughout the United States. Adam, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Sam? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm really excited to speak with you today about, you know, what it is you guys are doing and how you are um, propelling the medical cannabis industry forward uh, in Maryland. So I, I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know the process of what it takes to, like, become a medical right, right. cannabis company. Um, can you just give us a little bit of insight on how... Um, your family got involved and how you got involved with all yeah, of this. Yeah, definitely. So crazy story. Uh, a lot of times it, things kind of just happened for a reason. It was really more along the lines of my family being kind of nuts. Didn't have a, I, I had a pretty normal childhood growing up. Everybody, you know, you go out, you have uh, your, your high school, your college, your career. You, everybody says, you know, you never know what you're going to do when you're studying in school. I studied uh, construction, really like construction engineering, just because that was kind of what my family was in. My uncles and my, my dad actually specifically were in construction, but they were always kind of serial entrepreneurs. So they always wanted to, you know, build a new business, do something different. Uh, when this whole weed industry really started blowing up in California and Colorado, that was something that my dad really latched into. And he said, you know, we could do this. This is something that we could do. And I told him, you know, no, that's <laughs> get out of here. You're not going to do that. Like we're in contracting where we do um, uh, building design layouts and, you know, normal work. And then uh, two years after that, he wins a license. And then they says, do you want to come work for me? That took uh, about a team of five people, a clinical pharmacologist, I think, or what is it when you dispense drugs in a pharmacy? Finally, pharmacist, whatever. I think it's a pharmacist, somebody like that. Um, uh, a, a botanist, two engineers and my dad, and they decided to approach this from the medical perspective and the state offered out, uh, uh, what was it? The licensing procedures, 572 people applied. They awarded 11 and we were number four. So, you're in college, you are about to graduate, and your dad comes to you and says, do you want to come work in a medical marijuana industry and not do at all what you were planning to do? <laughs> uh, I said, I got to think about it because, you know, just because it is weed and everybody loves weed, it's not set in stone. It's not a perfect idea. You know, every company can fail. Mm -hmm. um, the company itself did eventually merge with another company called Ataraxia in Illinois, which is another partner of ours. So they were in the space for about a year and a half. So they knew their strains, they knew their products, they knew the market. It seemed like a safe bet. So I just jumped in wholeheartedly. I started trimming and packaging just at the bottom. Like, uh, I think I did that for about three months. And then I said to everybody, you know, this is not really the best utilization of my skills. So I wanted to help out with the expansion and construction because I did actually have knowledge there, expanded out the construction in Maryland. And then they said, we just got a lab license. We need somebody to run the lab. I said, give me the lab. They told me, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, come on, man. Like I, I can take it. Uh, they said, all right, well, you know, we're going to see what you got. You want the lab? Take it. Started extracting the next day. Uh, and it's been a year and a half since then haven't been fired yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you're running the lab. Um, I feel like that, that terminology, like the lab, I hear that and I'm like, I'm thinking like beakers and things along those oh, yeah. lines. Like what, 
what is a medical cannabis lab look like and what are you doing specifically? Because I know there's different procedures when it comes to the industry. Like what is a lab versus a grow versus a dispensary? Like those terms I feel like are thrown around often, but what are those elements and how is your lab a part of that? It's a good question. Um, so when I say lab, most people do think beakers, Walter White, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like that. It, it really is. There is a lot of glassware around, uh, stainless steel equipment. We do extraction techniques using uh, CO2 and ethanol. But whenever somebody says the word lab, there's kind of like two ways that I think about it. Real quick, extraction yeah. techniques. I, I, I want to keep keep going down this, this hole, but extraction techniques. What are you extracting and what are you creating? Okay. So when you work with bud, you know, like when you touch weed and it's like that sticky, icky, icky, mm-hmm. that's yeah. your THC, CBD, terpenes, cannabinoids. So all those actual essential oils that are found on the plant, that's what gets you your euphoric effects in your brain. And that's actually the part that gets you high. So specifically talking, whenever you have your bud, I call it green plant material because there's actually your chemicals and then there's just the bud itself. What we do in the lab is we can actually isolate and extract out certain properties of the weed and then we can actually reintroduce them and separate them out and then mix them back together into end products. So we extract out THC to make vape pen oils. We extract out whole concentrates to make shatter and butter and waxes, concentrates, Mm -hmm. things you dab. We also extract out terpenes. Now terpenes is a whole nother topic. That's the kind of uh, differentiator between bud. So your differences in sativa, indica, hybrid, your differences in your euphoric upbeat, your skunk, your gas, diesel, citrus, <laughs> you know, you got all your different <laughs> smells and tastes and all that wonderful stuff, but those are actually terpenes and terpenes are found in everything. Terpenes are found in beer and food and, you know, smells and, and sweat. It's, it's the kind of things that make up life. So whenever you extract out terpenes, that has a different effect on the cannabinoid receptors in your brain. Wow. Okay. Okay. And so at the, at the lab, you are extracting, you are processing, and you are creating these products. Yeah. So it's a processing. It's a processing license. Okay. So we take in uh, flour, let's just say X amounts of bud, and then we extract out all the components that we want, our THC, CBD, terpenes, mm-hmm. and then we create the products for the people, whatever the order guide is. So, you know... My menu is, I believe, like 80-something SKUs of different flavors and products. We have vape pens of strain-specific vapes, and then we have flavored vape pens of fruit-flavored vapes. We have infused non-edibles, trochies, dissolved lozenges, uh, tablets. We have um, concentrates. We have shatter and wax trying to launch butters. And everything in Maryland is is grown and processed and you know goes to the lab within Maryland, correct? We're not allowed to import from out of state. Yeah. No, no, no. Everything that you try in Maryland, seed to sale was grown, processed, and then dispensed within Maryland. And have we seen, I'm not sure if you would know this, but have, have we seen an economic like increase because of these, th- this industry? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I can't even tell you how much money in taxes they tax these people. I mean, Technically, it's a federal crime to be growing and selling marijuana. So you're taxed on revenue, not on profits. So Apple paid, I don't know, like less taxes than I did this year. Okay. And we are taxed wholly on revenue. So that means that we are paying a tremendous amount. I don't even want to think about the amount of money that has been brought in this year, but I, I don't have that number in front of me. Yeah, but I yeah. got to think it's probably close to $100 million for this year. And so it's super interesting to me that at the federal level, it is still illegal, but on a state-to-state basis, it isn't. Um, 
I remember when the industry first started booming you know, out out on the West Coast. Yeah, the the dispensaries would have raids from federal government employees. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. And, and a lot of you know elements of just surprise and unknown. Now in Maryland, it seems that that is not the case. It seems like at no point a federal agent is going to come down and bust a. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, we've seen the industry grow and it's a lot more normalized, but. What are some of those risk factors or are there any risk factors as a organization that technically at the federal level is is running an illegal operation or how, how, can you kind of? Yeah. Yeah. So, I just I'm super interested by yeah, that. There's two things that I think about day to day. Well, uh, a couple of the two major things. One is the fact that, yeah, at any point in time, the DEA could show up and arrest myself, my dad and everybody whose name is on the licensing mm-hmm. and say what you're doing is illegal and we're taking you in. Will they do that? Probably not. They got yeah. better things to do, bigger fish to fry. And if anything, I'm not even really uh, on their mind at this point. You know, uh, Maryland is technically still illegal to smoke marijuana in public, but the Baltimore County, what was that guy? The prosecutor just recently stated that he wouldn't be pursuing medical marijuana charges on people. So literally hit, uh, the government official from Baltimore County saying, we're no longer going after people that are holding on to weed. That's, Pretty much saying, you know, everything's changing because that's, right. that's a huge deal. The other thing I think about is the commission showing up. Now, the commission can come in and shut you down for any number of reasons. And that's the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission. Yeah. So you want to make sure you're operating completely correctly. Like, as you've seen, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the medical marijuana industry, but Ford Grow, another grow, recently got into a lot of hot water for them doing some practices that were considered not you know, not okay at the mm-hmm. time. They think it's still not okay. I don't know the specifics, but I mean, if you don't cooperate and follow the rules, then yeah. So you have to make sure that, you know, you've document everything, track everything. There's a tremendous amount of, of determining where the bud comes from, where it goes, who's touching it, who's controlling it, who's processing it, and then right. how it gets dispensed, like even in dispensary levels. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the industry as a whole. Um, we've talked about a little bit about you know your role within Verano. I want to just transition now and talk a bit more about Verano as an organization. Um, I know that you guys operate within the United States, um, like you're you're a national company, correct? Yeah. So how did a national company come to be? Uh, part of your basically your family sort of runs the Verano brand in in Maryland is that correct or so the story as it goes is it was probably based on just a timeline yeah uh, timeline I'm just itself. curious because I mean I've heard about Verano just for t- talking to you yeah you know Verano it's all over the country it's in Vegas it's it's in California but it seems weird that there's like this national brand in this state where, you know, at the state level, we are not allowed to import anything. So they need to create the brand and create everything here. So it's interesting to me that a national brand has the ability to do that within the state of Maryland. And I'm just like a little curious how, you know, your dad, your family got involved and how I, I know that he, you, you said the thing about um, he got the license. When did Verano become a part of that or was that always a part of that? That's a good question. So when we first started, we got our license and then we decided to partner up with another guy who was in the industries just so that we had a head start and everybody mm-hmm. else. When they first started, I believe it was like five, four, four years ago at mm-hmm. this point in Illinois. Uh, so they were the supplier for all of Chicago. Well, not all of Chicago, but most of Chicago, a brand called Gold Leaf. Uh, pretty popular out there, actually. Very popular. Fire strains, fantastic edibles, mm-hmm. really good uh, uh, products. They had 
the ability to jump in with us. They did a 50-50 partnership with my dad when they opened up Maryland. Mm -hmm. So then it was Maryland and Illinois. Vegas then jumped on board about a month later with another partner out there. And then Vegas, Illinois, and Maryland kind of became the start of Verona. Ah, I got it. From there, it expanded. So then they won additional licensing in Florida. The Florida deal was humongous. They also expanded out to Oklahoma. And now we have New Jersey, Michigan, and Maine on board. And now that they are expanding out further, now we're going to be active in, I think it's like Arizona and uh, California. They have dispensaries in Puerto Rico that they're building. Wow. So they're just trying to spread out yeah. as fast as possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a growing industry. Yeah. So, um, you know, you see that that national push. It just To me, it's just crazy that there are like national medical marijuana uh, brands. I just yeah, think oh, yeah. that's a really interesting Totally something new. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously you see it at the, at the like, alcohol and tobacco level, right? But when it comes to something that is technically a medical field, it's just interesting that there's, like, national brand recognition around that. And, you know, in theory, someone in Maryland is, you know, buying a similar product to somebody in Las Vegas, but the two products are completely grown in different places. So that's something that's kind of cool, too. So, like, speaking of, like, alcohol, like, let's talk Anheuser-Busch. They have... Mm-hmm. I think six or seven plants in the United States. I don't know, but let's say they have one plant that supplies all the Southeast region and they produce, I don't know, a million beers every day, turn it over and dispense it out. They have very strict regulations on how their production is made, how many bottles they make and how it gets sent out. For us, they have the ability to only operate within a state. So InBev can produce however much product they want and then dispense it out to then be processed and then uh-huh. redispensed out. We can't do that. Right. So we have to process, package, and dispense everything within a state. So that means instead of having like six plants for the world or for the United States, we need to have all 50 for all 50 uh, states. Okay. So they're able to make these massive plants and mm-hmm. spend tons of money because they can pump out a ton of product. But if you can't do that across larger regions and it's only in each state it means you have to operate with a lot of other smaller operators in different states so quality control is a big concern you want to make sure your operators are creating the same product in oklahoma as they are in tennessee same stuff that so if you have you know a tablet in michigan it should have the same effects as it does in in maine in jersey and florida every product should be consistent across the board and it is tough because you have to have multiple production facilities multiple managers multiple gms i'm sure people from maryland going out and and making sure the product is people from those original places going to the new places and ensuring that the the product is the same. For sure. We fly around a lot now. I fly around a lot now. Uh, Not only setting up labs, but they have uh, other uh, uh, managers that are operating out of headquarters. And yeah, they fly to Vegas, quality control, make sure the product is good, go to Illinois, quality control, make sure that uh, any issues that come up get solved. And you have facilities here that are being operated by you know, a difference in like 50 to 200 people. So these are pretty big operations. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> like in what five, basically in the past five years, we have seen an industry go from zero to what it is today. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, places like California and Colorado were more lax and had more, uh, freedoms around it. And, and a state like Maryland five years ago, you probably would have been arrested for, you know, uh, the tiniest bit of oh, uh, yeah. weed. So it's just crazy to see how it, uh, how it's been normalized in a lot of ways. Moving forward, and so moving forward, where do you see the industry going? From from how I see it, I would say you know there's the medical side and the rec side. Obviously, it's going to go rec in the next probably three to five years within Maryland or like 
nationwide. But really? I, mean, I think that we're going to see full recreational within five years. Wow. Okay. The, the next presidential election. You heard election, it here first. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just my thought. The next presidential election, this is getting to a point where we have 35 states on board. That is majority. We have a solid amount of- 35 states have rec- have it recreated. Medical, rec, or- um, Decriminalization. I, I, I think that that's the number. I'm not 100% certain, but I know that it's more than half. Right. It's, it's, it's getting to the point where it's a tipping point. Uh-huh. And I know for a fact that- they want to get reelected, and if they want to get reelected, they got to give the people what they want. It's also a Schedule One narcotic. I don't think it's going to stay on there no. for long. It's not the same effects as heroin and meth. We're talking, you know, a crazy thing that it's even up there in the first place, but. It's definitely got to change, and I think it's going to change quickly. So once in the next five years, I would say you'll get full recreational federally across all states. You'll see uh, your heavy medical markets, which will be your THCA products for children. You'll have your um, heavier medicinal products for patients that want to have um, anti-anxiety, uh, anti-depression, and then also you have your seizure medication. You would also have your uh, standard chronic pain patients, people that would want to take tablets instead of uh, like Advil, Tylenol PM, uh, painkiller stuff like that and, and then, it would solve a lot of the, like things like that like that would really help with like the opioid crisis and like insanely yeah. that's one of the biggest issues that we're facing right now so something interesting about opioids chicago just recently passed an opioid bill and they stated that there was um an opioid epidemic almost the point of an emergency for the state because uh, illinois is facing a huge amount of opioid deaths a year mm-hmm. so there were i think like 90,000 patients, something like that, in Illinois at the time before this opioid bill passed. Yeah. And then the opioid bill stated that anybody with a prescription from to opiates within the past two years automatically qualifies for wow. a medical cannabis card. Now, that means that, you know, you have a, city, a state of 11 million people. That's 1 million people now have access to a medical marijuana card. Let's say 5% of them decide to go in on it. That's 200,000, that's 20,000 people. That just immediately jumps up your patient count like 20, 30%. You, you see, you, you, you go around Baltimore and you see obviously these opioids have affected so many people because you, you, you walk down the street and you see these people who are strung out on these various drugs. And I, I don't know, necessarily believe that like recreational or medical marijuana is like the be all end all to save those people or to yeah. save the, the issue. But so many people get hooked. So many people end up killing themselves because they get addicted to these these painkillers, and then they they move to drugs like fentanyl and and heroin and these harder drugs. Whereas like weed, no one has ever died from smoking too much weed. That doesn't yeah. As far as I know, yeah, no, no yeah. that doesn't happen. No. Like, and and also when it comes to like a hangover, a come down, marijuana doesn't really have that. Whereas a lot of these other drugs, even alcohol, you, you, oh, you, yeah. you are more likely to die from drinking alcohol than you are from smoking weed. And it, it's super cool to me to see that the, we as a, a country are starting to recognize that and are starting to become more just relevant and more prevalent. And, and organizations like yours are at the forefront of it from a monetary standpoint, but I'm sure are also, you know, helping out with the lobbying and the, the, the push to show these, those types of statistics and whatnot. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's also not perfect. I get it. Of like, course. Weed is never going to be the end-all be-all for opiates. Like, you yeah. can't really replace that high, man. That's a pretty 
crazy high to, to jump in and say marijuana can be the same. Right. It's not the same. I have a, this was kind of cool. This is one of the patients that I met one time. He had just gone through like a back surgery. He took um, two Vicodins every four hours uh, for a day. So he would do uh, six Vicodin, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, two at night. And he told me that he uh, got hooked on them. He really couldn't stop. He started having uh, lots of you know thoughts and uh, of anger and aggression. He just really thought that he was losing control. And something that he decided to do was he decided to just go the medical marijuana route and he thought maybe he could slow himself down. Now he smokes, uh, he said, I remember he said he liked the grape vape that we produce and he smokes one of those a day. And he said that it's not really the same. It doesn't take his pain away, but it gives him the ability to control like the urge to not take the tablets and not take the pills. So it's like, it, it'll take the edge off. Yeah. And that, you know, it's not perfect, but it, it helps. Yeah, it's a start. It it's a start. Uh, how have you seen like marijuana become more normalized on like a day-to-day basis within, you know, the, our culture and, and, and things along those lines. Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> uh, whenever <laughs> I go out, uh, you immediately can notice that some people are, you know, smoking outside or they, I just know somebody to go, Oh yeah, that's definitely weed. Sometimes when I'm walking around, I see my own products, uh, <laughs> in people's hands. That's kind of trippy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, this, this is a pretty good story. When I was at a wedding, a family wedding about Six months ago, uh, I show up and then my aunts and uncles come up to me and they go, "Hey, you have a uh, uh, you have product on you?" And I'm like, "No, I'm this is it's my personal stuff. So like, I don't have any here." But you know, just the fact that my aunts and uncles are you know smoking weed, they all have their medical cards. Yeah. My grandma has her medical card. Wow. My mom has her medical card. My dad smokes weed, obviously. Yeah. Um, my 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 sister does. My whole family. So now, did did you know? Like, do you think before the medical mar like all this medical marijuana stuff and the cannabis stuff, like, were, do you think they were then, or do you think that? Like, oh fuck no! Uh-huh. <laughs> no way! Like, and then everything became normal. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Now you have. Uh now you have people over 55% of my patients are over the age of like 50 or 60. Yeah. Like yeah. you have all these older people smoking and dude, like my grandma smokes more than I do now. It's crazy. It's trippy as hell. I, I was talking, I've talked to some people over at Leafly and like they're uh, Leafly for those who do not know, it's like, um, it's a website kind of like the Yelp of marijuana. They yeah. also have like storefronts and, and promotions and deals on there. Um, and one of the things that they were talking about on there was like the new face of weed isn't mm. like a stoner with long hair and tie dye. It's oh, yeah, actually no. like a 65 year old who has crazy joint pain. And like that's they're they're trying to get away from the, the stigma that that burnouts are the only type of people who are smoking weed when it's, you know, CEOs and business people yeah. and, and, and the elderly and. It's crazy. You walk into a dispensary and you see, you know, your huge range of people. You see uh, your prototypical, you know, guys come in that have their cards that are like, man, this is legal now. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, They immediately just go up to the board. They want to try and find some bud that they've never smoked before and have a good experience. Then you have people that have chronic pain and literally can't get out of bed in the morning. Then you have uh, your elderly patients who struggle to get in the door and we have to have bud tenders actually help them in and out. You have vets who are trying to help themselves with PTSD because of the things that they've done for us. Uh, Then you have you know, uh, uh, children coming in that have uh, uh, seizures and, and, well, not seizures. I, I was there one day. This was actually a pretty sad story. We were doing production of uh, 14 to 1 pills called relief tablets. They're a heavy CBD pill, 2.5 milligrams of CBD and 0.178 milligrams of THC. And that's where the 14 to 1 comes from. Exactly. Okay. So it's your ratio from CBD to THC. So it's not really a psychoactive drug. It's more along the lines of something that can control 
your anxiety mm-hmm. for people that have anxiety, people that have um, tendencies to, uh, I, I don't know the exact condition, but people that have like like seizures and they go and move abruptly. And it was a, it was a young girl that was in the dispensary something like eight or nine was crying and screaming, definitely was on the spectrum uh, somewhere in, 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 in that realm. And I remember our, our one of our bud tenders at the time looked over at me and goes, we're out of stock on the 14 to one tablets. This right here, she's looking for them. I don't have any coming in. I think we just placed an order for them, but she wants to get them now. Can you go get them up in the lab? And I'm not going to lie, I was green in the face because I've been pressing out those green pills all day mm-hmm. long. And yeah, hell yeah, I had them upstairs in the lab, but... I couldn't go upstairs and get them and hand them to her because that's not the way that it has to be processed out. So it's still not like your neighborhood uh, drug dealer where you show up, you ask yeah, for yeah. something, you get it. So, but she was underage, right? And she, but she's still yeah. allowed. How does that work? Very interesting. So if you're underage, you have the ability to still get your medical cannabis card. You just have to go through a stricter processing. So the way that I got my card, and you can get your card, for example, um, and anybody can get their card, is you apply online, you give them a photo ID, your proof of registry here in Maryland, you go in, uh, get your state approval where they say, yes, you are a person of Maryland, yes, you exist here. Mm-hmm. Then you go to a doctor, the doctor gives you your card. If you're underage, you have to get a special special card that is a minor card and then they track your quotas more seriously. Okay. And and they have like a you probably need a parent like sign yeah, off you need obviously. You mentioned that your your you have a separate branding for your dispensaries. Yeah. So your organization, Verano, whatever it might be, Verano Holdings, the the umbrella, you have dispensaries, you have grows and you have labs. That's mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. That's so correct. you have all three parts of the product essentially like the the process, right? Oh yeah. How did you guys get all three of those? Cause from my understanding, it is pretty difficult to get one of those oh, yeah. three <laughs> items. How did you guys get all three? And at let's start there. How did you guys get all three? That is the tremendous work of pretty much I'll just attribute that all to my dad. Uh, that was just the team he built. He produced the best possible case that he could, gave the state of Maryland the absolute facts and what we would do. Here's how we would do it, what our goals were, what we're trying to accomplish, how we're trying to help people. And they saw that we were doing uh, something that was in line with them, and we got all three approvals. We're actually the only facility now in Maryland that grows, processes, and dispenses under the same roof. Personally, I love it. I really like the idea of having everything under the same roof. And the reason is, is I have complete control as to what products I get, what I am able to produce, and then how I'm able to sell it. So I am able to know for a fact that if I have a certain strain that is grown in my under my roof, I know we're not going to use pesticides. I know we're not going to do any shady business in Mm -hmm. producing it. I know we're not going to try and use GMOs. We're not going to try and alter the plants in any way. No funny business. You know, we try and grow the best possible flower that we can. I am able to, as a processor, purchase bulk amounts of flour from other licensed growers. And I have in the beginning. So when we first started, I didn't have as much flour as I do now, obviously. You know, it takes a while to get the plants to grow. Right. But, I mean, I got my processing license, so, hey, I'm allowed to start growing right now, but I don't have any bud. What do I do? You can call up any of the number of uh, grows in the area, and I did, and you're able to do bulk purchasing, you know, for, let's just say, a lot of weed. You can buy as much as you yeah, possibly yeah, yeah. can think of. I bought a tremendous amount of bud, and we started processing the next day. So I have noticed more and more dis dispensaries opening mm-hmm. dispensaries being opened it seems like there's the least barrier of entry obviously there's a lot of red tape maybe i'm wrong there but i've noticed 
just walking around the, the city of Baltimore, a new dispensary every couple of months. The other factors, the processing and the uh, grow, do are there more and more of those every day in the same capacity? And I'm just blind to it because it's not, you know, it's not a storefront. It's yeah. not in my face. Like, yeah. are are those aspects of the industry growing as well? In Maryland, no, not for the moment. They're holding it back right now just so that they can get a better hold on uh, or just uh, keep a good eye on what's going on. Yeah. They want to they want to have a couple of larger operators, but a, a fewer amount of them so that they can watch each of them strictly and make sure that they're all following the rules correctly. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different than other states. So kind of right. cool from, I go out to Oklahoma now and I set up, uh, I'm setting up a lab out there because we just expanded Oklahoma. The licensing out there is crazy. It's insane. If you pay $2,500 to the state of Oklahoma, you get your license. To your, grow. Anything you want. Grow, lab, or dispensary. And could you, would it... I mean, this is, we're getting into the weeds here, but would it be like $2,500? You said twenty five Per license. Per license. So, but $7,500, you can do what we yeah, do in Oklahoma. Wow, <laughs> wow Oklahoma. Um, well, that is, uh, that's but pretty crazy. There is less red tape considering between dispensaries and, and, yeah. and growers right now. Because there's Maryland. what, like over 100 dispensaries in the state of Maryland? I think at, there's like 72, 74, seven, okay. something like that. And then there's there's what, like 15 grows and 15 processing plants? Yeah, so way, way less than dispensary fronts. And they're definitely trying to award more dispensaries because, you know, people... That people are, are talking, you know, and, it's, and they're talking with their wallets, man. Yeah, and also, I mean, the state of Maryland, it's not a huge state, but it's weirdly shaped, and there's people all around in different places who want it. And, you know, you don't need... You don't need a, a, a grow or a processing plant in every place because you have the ability to distribute to the storefronts. And if the storefronts are kind of like the liaison between them, that makes sense that there's more of those because, you know, people in the Eastern Shore, they want to smoke and the oh, people yeah. in Hagerstown want to smoke and people in Baltimore want to smoke. Yeah. So you have to be able to have a large network of delivery yeah. drivers and get all your product out there. I'm curious about the interaction among the DMV. Um, obviously we set where we're three separate areas, um, you know, uh, Washington, DC, Virginia, and Maryland. Virginia historically has some of the most, uh, strict marijuana laws in the country. Uh, I don't know anything about there, if they have any medical marijuana there or if there's anything going on there, but then you have DC, which was one of the first places to essentially leak. Uh, it, it's, it's, pretty much legal you know you you can't buy it you technically buy a gift you buy a t-shirt and then that t-shirt rewards you with x amount of money or x amount of (laughs) product based off of what you are you know spending and i'm just curious how you know those i don't know if you even know this but like how those three operate or affect each other because i would assume people i would assume there's some connection between the dc legalization legalized market and the maryland uh medical market more along the lines of education, uh, they really don't operate business-wise between each other. It's pretty much kept separate. They can't, right? They literally can't. But education between people and patients, that's huge. So DC has legalized it to the point where you can grow up to like six or eight plants in mm-hmm. your building at once. And then you can also uh, have guys that are extracting down there. You have people that are dispensing down there. So you have people that are exposed to all different kinds of um, experiences between uh, different products and different effects on how they go. There's different pricing levels between products in D.C. and Maryland. So, of course. I mean, that's just availability uh-huh. versus um, recreational versus medical markets. And you really see a big uptick in the amount of people that say, you know, I went to D.C. and I went to these four or five dispensaries and I went and spoke to all these other guys. I went to events and 
it's just getting crazy, man. Like all these people are coming up to me and asking me a lot of great questions right. and educated questions. And it's, it's why I like to, I don't like to bring it up a ton whenever you go to <laughs> bars. Cause then you just end up talking yeah. to people for 45 minutes, yeah. but no, it's, it's really great. Uh, People just want to be involved because mm-hmm. it's something that they all believe in. So do you think Virginia will ever... It's not going to catch up to Maryland. Yeah. No, they'll legalize. Yeah. Eventually. 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 You can't You can't ignore mm-hmm. everybody for and so you can't. Av- you can't... Like you said earlier, like money talks. And it's clearly a, a an industry that is creating an economic growth within the state of Maryland, yeah. which is literally the state next door to you. I mean, like, do you want to fund schools and bridges and... and, and, and any other government spending that you want? Yeah. Do you want to do it with medical marijuana and medical cannabis? Some states right now will say no, but eventually they just will say, you know, they see the benefits, mm-hmm. they see the patients that it's helping, they see the effects, and then they also can cor- like directly correlate legalization of marijuana and opioid deaths. And there is a reverse, um, uh, 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 what is it? Um, I don't know, reverse function of as soon as marijuana becomes legalized, opioid deaths slowly start to decrease. That's amazing. So one, I guess this is going to be probably my final question here, and this might be a big one. People who want to get involved in the industry, maybe from an education standpoint, or maybe from an actual, they want to enter this extremely, like this extremely, what is going to be such a large industry. There's probably a ton of competition in terms of getting a job within the medical marijuana industry. What would you recommend for somebody who was interested in, getting involved i uh there's this so there's a lot of methods there's a lot of ways because not only are you getting into the grows and dispensaries there's licensing there's labs there are uh, government officials that track all this stuff so it is tough i try and help everybody that wants to get in the industry that can one of the things that i would recommend is find what you your skill set is and then how you can best apply it to the medical cannabis field. You can work as a trim packager. You can work as a dispensary agent, your bud tenders. You could also work as a grow grow technician, a lab technician. You could work for the testing companies. You could work for the committee that oversees um, the regulatory industry. You could work for packaging design companies. You could work for graphic design companies. You could maybe take your finance procedures and go and try to work at some kind of um, administrative role. Uh You could work as uh, security. You could work for uh, uh, processing of uh, edible production. So there's also, you know, fruits that you can, uh, fruit flavors and drinks, and you could do canning lines. You could do manufacturing equipment. You could do um, uh, soil production. You know, you could do uh, cocoa production. There's there's so much that you could do to get into the industry. So there's a ton of, like, entry-level positions for people who want to get involved within the industry. It's harder to get into the higher-up positions yeah, right now of just because mostly it's so new. So whatever the, their core team was, they'll just promote within and try and fill in mm-hmm. uh, uh, additional people. But I know for a fact that this industry is growing. They're going to need help. Everybody needs uh, to come in and be a part of this if they want to be because it's just something that's so great. Um I personally, my experience was, you know, there were a lot of long nights in the lab, right. not gonna lie. A lot of, a lot of times when you sit there with your hand in your head, uh, just saying, oh my God, I'm never going to get this to work. But it is really rewarding when you're finished and you can go home for the day and you say, you know, holy shit, I, I you, yeah. you forget what you do for a living sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's kind of crazy. It just, uh, it's like, it takes some of the like, uh, mis- like mystique around it away, right? Yeah. Like, well, okay. So now weed is my work. Like now it's. You show up every day for work. 
everybody goes and gets their 25 pounds of bud. You start processing it. You have to start doing the extractions. Then people start saying, okay, where's that 3,000 gram lot? And you go, oh, it's over there. Okay, great. Keep moving on. I can't even fathom what 25 pounds of weed would look like. It's like this much. (laughs) This is a podcast, so it's it's a large brick. (laughs) It's a large brick. Damn, that's awesome, man. So, Adam, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Uh, I really appreciate it, obviously. And uh, if anybody has any follow-up questions for, for, for Adam feel free to contact me. So uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. For sure. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for listening to Charm City. If you are interested in being interviewed, or if you're a local business interested in sponsoring us, please reach out to charmcitypod at gmail.com.